welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. This is the last message that I'm going to preach in the series called The Hero Within. I don't know, I don't know when you're going to start the video, but if you start the video with that and that response from the people, be the least viewed YouTube video on the net. Yay, so awesome that we're coming to the, the climax, the, the, the point, the, the precipice of everything you've been building, Pastor. Woohoo! We got here together. Nobody died. I don't think anybody died. Did we kill anybody? We made it. And Stacy, this morning, you, some of you that are really old and you remember way back, Doc Ryan said like 10 years ago when they started this series. <laughs> if you remember message number one, I stood up here and, and opened my shirt and I had a... Uh, Yes, Superman uh, shirt, T-shirt on, the S. And I launched the series by saying, hey, we're all supposed to be like this incognito, in camouflage, secret agent of heaven where we just kind of like, hey, I'm Clark Kent. I just happened to stumble by a phone booth. Young people, you can Google what a phone booth is. They were these. I don't have time. And... And then he, he goes in and somebody's being terrorized, you know, a block away. And then Clark Kent's all like, oh, that's terrible. Whatever should we do? And then slips into the phone booth and then blows it apart with super Clark Kent powers and flies in and saves the day. That's supposed to be us. Except not the cartoon version. So my illustration was you have a hero on the inside of you. The problem is, is that we haven't gone into the phone booth. Amen. We're walking around with our Christian suit on, like, I got a hero within. Really? Are you going to help? Well, no, I haven't learned how to get into my, my tights yet. So I've been trying to teach you for 26 weeks how to get into your tights. <laughs> and some of you, you've been pulling. <laughs> and... And some of us have never seen spandex cry so hard. <laughs> and this morning when we were praying, Stacy uh, had a vision. And she said how that she, re, she was thinking about the, in the Old Testament when there was great repentance that would hit the nation or hit individuals. You might remember this. They would rend their clothes and they would sit down in sackcloth and ashes in deep repentance over whatever terrible thing was happening to their nation or to the people of God. And what Stacy had was a vision of the opposite, was that we were going to be those people that were going to rend their clothes and come out as the hero within 
as the Spirit of Christ, and we were going to bring an opportunity for people in our nation to be saved, to be delivered, to be rescued, just like we're supposed to be doing. So we have a, an Old Testament of rending their clothes and basically falling into a place of repentance and or uselessness. And we have a New Testament version of the hero within where we rend our clothes and we show the whole world that we've got something to offer them. And his name is Jesus Christ, the savior of the whole world. So this message is actually part two. What's it called? Mm -hmm. Part two of a message I started six weeks ago. I don't know who sets the schedule up for me. That person needs a good tongue lashing. I, I, I didn't realize that when I didn't get through the whole message that I jacked myself. So I apologize to everybody that was in message number one six weeks ago and you're like, which I think is my wife. She's the, she's the only one that's like, I can't, you, you didn't finish. Like, I'm sorry, baby. <clears throat> it was, the title of it is Heroes Are Mature. And if you're, if you're kind of tracking what we've done here, I've built up to this place. You know, we started with, with some, some basic principles about the characteristics and the virtues that we as believers are supposed to have in our lives. And through the first few messages, we went into some really important areas about dealing with fear and insecurities in our lives. <clears throat> and we built into lots of uh, progressively deeper areas. And then this is the end. But this also is going to launch us into the next thing that I'm going to be talking about, maybe with or without some uh, eschatology mixed in there. So I'm, I haven't fully yet decided, but I better get there. If we're going to talk about eschatology right after we get done with this, or I'm going to launch right into the next series. And I would name it right now. I feel the temptation to do so, but I know better. I know better than to say stuff from up here because then y'all come up and hold me accountable for things I say. <laughs> so heroes are mature part Deuce. We're talking about truth, justice, and the kingdom way, the way of our king. That is what the hero within has a responsibility to do in our culture. You bring truth, you bring justice, and you bring the kingdom way to this very dark, very unjust, very deceived culture. You're the responsibility to this culture. You, if you're waiting for God to do it, you're 2,000 years late. He done did it, his part's over, and now it's our part. Anything that's wrong in this society, anything that's wrong in this culture, anything that's wrong with our world, the blame falls at the church's feet. God left us here to do something about this world. <laughs> you got, some of you are thinking you need to get this message done <laughs> Psalm 16.3 the godly people in the land they are my true heroes godly means like God 
if, you, if there is a characteristic about God, an authentic, sincere, legitimate, bi biblically proven characteristic about God, you're supposed to have it. You were created in his image and his likeness. And then you were given his spirit to empower you to do what nobody in the Old Testament could ever accomplish. And those people that actually do the hard things, that embrace the hero within, that have accepted the calling to be the image of God and to show the image of God, those people, God says, they're my heroes. Man, every time I say that, that hits me. That we have an opportunity, God has made an opportunity available to everyone in here. He's no respecter of persons. Everyone in here, he's rooting for you to be his hero. Man. This. I shouldn't have looked. This impacts me. These, these kids, most of them love me. And there might even be a couple of them that think I'm their hero. And as amazing as our kids are, and they're the best, we got the best kids. Think about the fact that God wants to call you as hero. It wrecks me knowing a couple of these kids think I'm a hero. Even more so, a couple of these kids might think I'm their hero. Not even just a hero, but I might be their hero. And the comparison to being one of their, these kids' hero and being God's hero? God's calling us into that. He wants you to be his hero. And any reason or excuse that you could conjure up in this moment to disqualify yourself is illegal. Not true. Not true. Because every one of us can still be godly. Not only does he want us to be his heroes, but he takes pleasure in those of us that have at least started the course. Maybe you're not quite God's hero yet, but you can be on the road. Maybe you ain't got the spandex pulled all the way up, but keep pulling, baby. You'll get it. <sighs> Hallelujah. Colossians 1.27, God did this because he wanted you, beloved, to understand his wonderful and glorious mystery. And the mystery is Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. 
This is not an ethereal thing. This is, this is not an imaginary biblical thing. I know a lot of people think it is. Will you stand up? Yeah, you. <laughs> a person lives here. She's this close to the person not living here. A person lives here. Someone lives here. Really, really. Well, I can't see him. Really, really. A person lives there. Well, I don't hear him. I don't feel him. She does. <laughs> Thank you. A person really lives there. It's a real person. Why, why is that concept and a person used to live? <laughs> I got to stay away from this part of the church right now. Why is this concept so normal for us? And the fact that Christ himself living on the inside of us is abnormal or ethereal or imaginary or spiritual. And we use the term spiritual like it doesn't really exist. You know, society is telling us that that's not a baby, that that's not a person. And a bunch of society believes it. They're murdering children because they have believed the lie that that's not a real person. And I know that this room is like, ugh, those people. But how many people in this room have believed the lie that it's not a real person that lives in you? It's Christian abortion. Okay. I have been gone too long. I have to, I have to slowly get into it, like mid-message. I can't start off that way. The mystery is that Christ lives in you, and he is your hope for sharing in God's glory. He's your hope. Not the government. That should have been the biggest amen of the day right there. No, 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 no. That's welfare amen. He is your hope, not the government, not your... I asked for it. I... Touche, beloved, touche. Not, not your super awesome, beautiful boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse. Not, not your amazing job with all the money that they don't pay you. Not the lottery. Because some people got their hope there. Amen. I, I know these people. They, I'm not going to look at nobody in here, but there's probably people in here. And, and I don't know this because someone ratted you out. I just know statistically there's a bunch of people in here thinking, yep, the way God's going to get prosperity into my life is a scratch-off ticket from the tax money of Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> you fool. This is, people have hope in things that should never, ever have their hope. And people. If your hope is in me, you need to go to the altar for prayer time at the end of this message and repent in sackcloth and ashes. <laughs> I can't believe I had my hope in Steve. If your hope is in me, you're, you need prayer. 
if your hope is in Trump, <laughs> Biden, let me, I don't want to miss nobody. If your hope is in anybody, a person is going to let you down. I don't care how awesome that person is. I know some of you may not believe this, but my mom has actually made mistakes. No. I, I know! I, I don't know what they are, but I'm sure. <laughs> Even as perfect as mom is, if you put your hope in mom, anything that your hope is in besides Christ is setting you up for pain, destruction, misery. I hope one day I will get to retire and then life will be great. Christ is our hope only. There's no other hope. Every other hope will leave you hopeless. And he is your hope in sharing in God's glory. Notice it's a sharing thing that speaks to intimacy. God wants to share himself, the best of himself with you. He wants to. He empowered you to get there. A defining characteristic of a courageous or a brave person is their submission to do the hard thing. This is, this is a little bit more real to me this morning than in, than in past moments. Doing the hard thing means you do the hard thing in front of you. Uh, and this needs just a smidge more information so that it has the resonance that I want it to have in your heart. A lot of people, when they hear me say, hey, heroes do the hard thing, they're thinking like they've got a list of 50 hard things that they're going to start at the bottom of next month. And they'll knock out, you know, 50 in, in June, what is it, June, and then they'll knock out 49 in July and then 48 in August and 47. No, that's not what I mean by when I say heroes do the hard things. Heroes do the hard thing means the thing that shows up in front of your face that is infinitely hard, that's the one you do. You don't plan to do the hard things, y'all. It's the hard thing that whoop, oh my Lord, what am I going to do here? You're going to do the heroic thing. You're going to do the hard thing because Christ is in you. He is your hope of glory. And that very hard thing that showed up in your face, that's why he's in you, is that thing right there. That thing right there. You don't get to say, whoa, 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 I'm not ready for that kind of hard. That's extra hard. I'm going to go down here and start with kindergarten hard. Don't work that way. If, if you are in a position and there's a hard thing that's come, it's because God believes that Christ in you is capable of dealing with that thing in your face in that moment. Yes. Amen. Man, this is so important. 
Heroes do the hard things in their face. Right here, right now. Today you're going to be challenged with hard things. Today. Promise. Scout's honor. Today. What are you going to do? Be a hero. God takes pleasure in heroes. Humanity is hardwired for the heroic. The heroic is an imprint that's been left on the inside of us because we have been made. We're not going to be made. We have been made in the image of God. You, sitting there, the one that got all huffy and puffy this morning when you looked in the mirror before you came here. Well, that's the best I can tell. <laughs> I, I know, I just called out 25 women. This is what they're getting. <laughs> that right there is the image of God. But God's image is not in our flesh. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, John 4, 24. His image in you is in your spirit, that is Christ. You have been made into the image of God inside. And the more you live from the inside, the more people are going to see it on the outside. Amen. When we were in Germany, man, I shouldn't even have said it. Just got flooded with thoughts. We... At the second conference, we did two back-to-back -back conferences, and at the second conference, there was 1,200, 1,300 people in this conference, and the, the organizer of the conference, he said, I want you to start, the first message I want you to do is, just, is tell them your testimony about what you did and, and your book and stuff. And I tied it into repentance from fear and not being willing to do the heroic thing I tied in being the hero within, and I'm not going to get into German culture or what they went through in the last three years, but you can probably just imagine it. They've had their they had their own set of terrible, just like we had our set. And in the German culture, it is not normal to to have any of our American rebellion, where you kind of fight back, like no, we're we're not going to take it anymore. And that is not, in fact, in, in generally in culture as a whole, we're a little unique in that area. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying a lot of people in a lot of cultures, they're just like, okay, this is what we're doing now. We're just going to lie down and take it and roll over and, and hopefully it goes away before it gets too terrible. And I preached this message and and folks in a lot of other places, there's not a whole lot of response when you're preaching. And especially when you got to go through translators and, you know, because sometimes you like build up to the point and then it gets translated and it's like, and I preached this message and there wasn't a whole lot going on in the crowd. Plus I couldn't see because they had TV lights on you. So I didn't even know if anybody was responding. And I got to the end and I basically did like an altar call. So I want you to stand if you want to repent from being fearful, and I'll pray for you that boldness and courage comes in your life and, and it changes the direction and the course of your life. And I didn't, I couldn't see, I was just gonna everybody raise their hand and, and, and so I could pray for them. And because I couldn't see, I handed the microphone to my interpreter who is a, he was a full-fledged evangelist. And so I was honored by the guy standing next to me was 
at least or better a minister than I was. And I said, man, do an altar call of some kind. I'm going to hop down there where I can see people and I'm going to pray with anybody that responds. So I handed him the microphone and five minutes later, there's 500 people at the altar on their face crying. And some of them are weeping and wailing to the Lord. And in that moment, I was aware that there's a lot more spiritual desperation in most of the rest of the world that we don't have yet. And I'm not a, I'm not a desperation guy. That's not one of my words. I don't, I don't really like that word, but it's, it's, it's a hard thing to describe without using that word. They wanted it so bad that they were willing to do the hard thing. Get on their face in front of God and cry out to God. I could do altar calls until the cows come home at Beloved Church and we're probably not gonna get a third of this congregation at the front on their face crying out to God asking for forgiveness and repentance and boldness and courage. We're 26 messages in. I gave them one. And, and I'm not picking on everybody. I'm just saying that what is stopping us from getting there is that we don't realize it, but we've got a ton of religion. We've got a ton of culture, a ton of society that is pulling us back from going off the cliff into the deep water. And that is immaturity. It's immaturity. Jesus was the most mature person that's ever touched earth and everything he did was wheels off. Unpopular, rejected by the masses, everything he did. There was no normal in Jesus. You didn't wake up with Jesus on a Tuesday and you're like, all right, let's do Tuesday. Check the schedule, boys. Every day, he did the hard thing. And he was presented with a lot of hard things in his face. And thank God he did because he changed the world. A hero of God defines themselves by God's definition of a hero. This means we become what God desires us to be. As, as blessed as I am by this, I don't want Ian and Olivia to define me as a hero. I want God's definition of what a hero is. If I try to live my life to please Kay and be her hero, I'll accomplish one target and I'll miss the mark. The mark is Christ. Now, if Kay's doing it right and I'm doing it right, when I hit the mark, I also hit the target. And then she swoons. I've heard rumors that this is a possibility. <laughs> Fear is a choice. Fear is always a choice. Always. God word. Heroes know that changing the world starts with changing themselves. Any heroes in here? 
all right, we'll see. Changing yourself starts with transforming your will. Oh boy, I lost some hands on that one. Maturity is the process of transformation. Maturity is not a moment, it's a lifetime. I did this on Wednesday at the Rockford Grace Group, and I, and I need to do this more efficiently here, but I'm gonna give you the transformation recipe, and I'm gonna do this in 30 seconds, so I'm sorry, because I can actually preach this as a message, and it takes an hour, and there's a whole lot more to it. So you're gonna get the fire hose version of this. But here is the recipe for transformation. The reason I use the word recipe as a former restaurant guy, there's a thing about recipes where you have to have ingredients and you also have to have the process work together at the same time. If you had the wrong ingredients at the wrong process or the wrong amount or you're not going to end up baking what you're trying to bake or make what you're trying to make. And so I use the term recipe not to be clicky, not to be fun, but to, to let you understand that this has to be this way in this order. So the transformation recipe starts with information. If you don't have information, you don't know what to transform into. If you, nobody's ever told you that God heals, you will never know about the healing of God. And you'll be sick. And God loves you and everybody else will love you. But you're never going to be transformed into a divinely healthy person because you ha it first has to start with information. So the first step in transformation is to have information. Then you have to take that information. It has to be biblical information. And you have to add to it meditation. And you don't get this in today's culture. You, you start meditating in this culture, maybe not you, but the average person in this culture, you say the word meditation to them, they're going to think one of two things. One, Eastern weird religion, yoga, or they're going to think nap time. Meditation is nap time because all I got to do is slow my brain down from light speed for 52 seconds and I am drooling on two people. Amen. This is why a lot of you struggle to stay awake in church. is because you have not trained your mind to understand that it is supposed to slow down and focus on one specific thing. You, it's, you're always got flashing, glowing screens and you got to go 90 miles an hour and have two, three, four, five jobs and, and it's always this. And that's why, the, that's why God cannot help you with the mind of Christ and so you're going to operate from your own mind. And so anytime you slow down, you try to engage with the mind of Christ. It is zombie land. I'm not picking on anybody in here. If you're falling asleep, don't look at me or look at me. <laughs> I'm just telling you the way, the reason that happens. It's Sunday morning. You slept last night. You should be good to go. But the reason that it just happens, just so happens in church is because right now God is calling you into a meditative state and it's just not the way your brain works. Information has to be added to meditation and meditation will then eventually get you to revelation. And this is why a lot of people don't have revelation of the kingdom. They just have understanding or information. Well, I know God heals. Well, yeah, does he heal you? Eh, because we've never done the process of taking meditation onto the information until it becomes our revelation, not a revelation, 
our revelation. Now it's mine. Now it's not what the Bible says. Now it's what God's told me. I own it. I possess it. So how much meditation do, do you add to the information until you get revelation? If you haven't got revelation, go back to meditation. After you get met revelation, a lot of people are like, that's it, got revelation. That's not transformation. You're only three out of five. The next thing you have to do after you get revelation is you have to add to it activation. Faith without works is dead. If you don't do it, you're not going to have it. If you don't do the hard thing, put it into action, my leg hurts. I'm going to take scriptures on healing. Oh, now I have information about healing. And I'm going to meditate on it. Now I have information that I'm healed because of the stripes of Jesus. He did that for me. My leg still hurts. You know what you have to do? Yeah. Oh, it still hurt. Keep it up. Now, don't take this the wrong way, because I know a lot of people out there are looking for a way to make my message sound like I'm some kind of a kook. If, if you're not there, you're not there. I'm just telling you, I've seen thousands, probably at this point, tens of thousands of people healed. It, it's, not, it's not imaginary anymore. You, you might have been able to argue me out of it 30 years ago. But it's too late for me, sister. I have seen it with my eyes. I've watched the people healed right in front of me. I've seen cancers fall off of people. We've seen the dead raised. Thank God. It's too far gone for me. It happens. It's real. I've seen it. Now, maybe you haven't. Doing the hard part of activation is where a lot of people lose it. After you do activation and you do it consistently, you will have transformation. Now you're going from a person who needs to be healed to a person who's been healed and the enemy's trying to steal your health. There's a big difference between those two. It is way harder for you to try to get something from the outside and bring it in than it is to just defend what's already yours. This is the way I'm, I live my life now. I defend my health. Jesus has purchased my health. It belongs to me. And the rest of my life, all I'm going to do is defend it. Anytime the enemy wants to come in here, I'm going to stick him in the face with my sword. Yeah. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of the mind. This is, this is literally like black and white. There is conformity of the world. That's what the world's working on with you right now. As I speak, the gravity of today, the gravity of the present is trying to pull you into their culture, pull you into their society, pull you into their way of thinking, pull you into their way of living, pull you into death, pull you into sickness, pull you into poverty, pull you into whatever they got. That gravity of this world is pulling on you right now, even while I'm preaching. It's pulling. Conformity. The world wants you to conform. Just live the way I live. Just talk the way I talk. Just watch what I watch. Go where I go. Act like me. Don't you see the image of how perfect life looks on Hollywood movie screen? Do that. Conform. And then God's saying, transform. God's saying the whole world is a hairy caterpillar and I need butterflies. 
He's calling you into the cocoon so that you can fly where no caterpillar has ever gone before. This, is, this process of transformation is what we call maturity. As you mature in the Lord, you become transformed. Aging is an affliction that attacks us all. Amen. Amen. Except for the young people, you should say amen. Amen. And you guys, I'm going to spray water on you. Aging is an affliction that attacks us all. Attacks us. We weren't even doing nothing. You are just like sleeping last night, right? Like Tab. It's like every once a month I see Tab and she comes into church and she, and she walks up and to get her, her daily hug. And she comes up, she's like, oh, I, I hurt my thing. I'm like, what did you do? I was, I was sleeping. <laughs> you're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> But the reality is, if, if you're like 45 or over, you, you've probably slept wrong. You woke up like, oh, what, what happened? I, a pillow moved. <laughs> so now I'm sore for a month. <laughs> Aging is an affliction and it attacks you. You weren't even, you were minding your own business, chilling, having a, having a good sleep, and then wham! Age came, you woke up with gray hair and wrinkles. Yesterday, I was in high school. <laughs> Aging is an affliction that attacks us all. But maturity is the reward for those who fight for transformation in that process. There are some people that are old, and there are some people that are mature. I'm choosing to be the latter. Joseph B. Worthling, Berth, Worthling said, he's a, uh, a wealthy, he was a, well, he passed away, he was a wealthy Christian business entrepreneur. He said, most of us don't mind doing what we ought to do when it doesn't interfere with what we want to do. But it takes discipline and maturity to do what we ought to do, whether we want to do it or not. Yeah. Ephesians 4.11, and it was he, Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for works of ministry. My job is to equip you to do the ministry. So who's the minister? I'm the equipper, you're the minister. Uh, oh, uh, it's, like, it's like a slow wave going across the... Amen. It's not a question. I'm telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says, I equip you for ministry. <laughs> One person got it. To equip the saints for works of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. I'm supposed to build you up. Some of you are standing there with your 12 gauge locked and loaded. Say, you bring that hammer closer to me, I'll blow your 
I'm just trying to build you up. You keep your hammer away from me. Okay, I'll back off over here. Whenever you want to be built, let me know. Amen. You know what building is? You get hammer holes. Someone takes a saw to your long selfish part. <laughs> How? <laughs> Hold on, it'll be over in a minute. <laughs> now look, it fits perfect. Oh, well, okay, yeah, I see it now. Oh. In the sawing process, nobody's like, thanks, Pastor. That was the best sawing I ever had. <laughs> 13. Until we. <laughs> that was a good image. Until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice this. As we mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ. As we mature. It's not a destination. Process, transformation process, the maturing process. Part of what we do here is for me on purpose to afflict you. Amen. I'm sorry. You know, you don't really grow without growing pains. You don't build muscle without doing the hard work and having the pain. Amen. Amen. That's literally part of my job. You know how many people get mad at me for it? You know how many people are mad right now? <laughs> it's literally my job. The reason that this, the reason it feels so massively uncomfortable is because our culture has lost this. We have preachers that feed us candy and keep us in the bassinet and put a binky in our mouth. There you go. But I'm 50. Shh, shh, shh. Let me change your diapy. Here's a sucker. And a bunch of Christians that are okay with it. 50-year-olds wearing diapers, sucking on suckers, they're okay with it. Well, you know, I mean, it could be worse. No, it's pretty much as bad as it can get right there. That's, that's terrible. My job is to make sure there's no 50-year-olds in bassinets with suckers. Amen. Everybody that said amen, I need a recording and a text message, and a contract. <laughs> Until we all reach the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God as we mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ. I don't want you to be mature like me. I'm not the measure. If you're measuring by me, you're measuring incorrectly. He's the measure. You might be more mature than me. In fact, I'll guarantee that there's people in this room that are more mature than me in, in many areas. Thank God, thank God that we have a church that's got many leaders in here. Because if it was all about me, if this was the church of Steve Castle, you guys are fools. <laughs> Someone needs to help you. We have tons of folks in here that are anointed. Wasn't last week awesome? These, these are people that are part of your culture that have gifts and, and grace and anointings that maybe some of you didn't even know. And when you heard their testimonies, you're like, really? Wow. That? Really? Wow. Because we don't honestly press into this very often. The measure is Christ. Everybody last week was testifying that a part of Christ got into their life. I testify 
I try to testify all the time that there's parts of Christ that has gotten into my life and has created change and transformation and I used to be this way but now I'm this way and I used to do this and I'll never do that again because I'm going to do this from now on. I learned my lesson. Maturing is learning a lesson from doing the stupid. If you do the stupid and then you're like, man, you know what? Next weekend I'm doing stupid squared. You didn't learn your lesson. You're not mature. You're just gray-haired. 14. Then, then, after that, then we henceforth be no more children. <laughs> Amen. In the BSB, it says infants. Little bitty babies. You know what little bitty babies do? Well, Sleep in church <laughs> right now. You better better give him a copy of this message in about twelve years. <laughs> then we'll no longer be infants. Notice what happens to infants, tossed to and fro with every wind and wave of doctrine. I'm going to go this way, I'm going to go this way. Two steps forward, no, life came back at me. 50 years of really never going, moving. They're moving all the time. They never stopped. Moving, 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 moving. Wore out. Tired. Oh, I'm so tired. Yeah. Why are you tired? I've been moving. I've been, I've, been, I've been going. Well, yeah, but you went five steps and then five steps. You didn't actually move. You just burnt calories. You, like the treadmill of life. That's where a lot of Christianity is. I go, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. You, you're on a treadmill. The reason the wall hasn't changed in front of you is because the treadmill is pressed up against that wall. Off the treadmill, go outside. Vitamin D is great for you. Every day. This is what happens if you're, this is, I'm saying this to show you that you will recognize whether you are or are not mature based upon this is one of the characteristics. If this is what's going on in your life, you're probably immature. I'm not picking on you. I love you. We're going to let Jen hold you and coddle you <laughs> and give you a binky. And then she'll get you worked up to the place where she'll give you to me. And then I'll start sawing. <laughs> Thank God for the moms. <laughs> if the world was raised by dad, there'd be no worlds. We'd kill them all. My, my daughter and my son know that for a fact. They'd be dead if it wasn't for their mother. They, they love me to the extent that mom's always going to be there for them. The wind and waves, the, you got a different word. About the every wind and wave of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness. You know there's people out there that are smart enough to be so cunning that they'll get you? Yeah. Anybody ever been conned? Everybody with their hands down is a liar. You can look around the room right now. We've all been conned. Somebody has, has tricked us, has conned us, has deceived us, has connived us has been cunning and crafty 
and led us into some measure, some way of destruction. And then we got there and we're like, oh, that person, that thing, I thought this was going to be good. And you can almost hear the devil, ha, 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 gotcha. You know why? Because we weren't mature enough that when that cunningness, when that craftiness came, you were like, ah, I know this trick. There ain't no bridge for sale. The people that laugh know what I just said. Verse 15 says, instead, speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into Christ. How do you grow up into Christ? Truth, love. Love, first, let me deal with that. Most of the world operates on the lust system and not the love system. Here's one of the ways that you can understand the difference between one of the ways. This isn't, don't take this as the way. This is one of the ways you can understand the difference between lust and love. Lust is about you. I want them to do something for me. I lust after them uh, for what they can provide for me. I lust after their stuff. I lust after, I, I'm going to be really, really nice to Tabby so that she gives me free house cleaning at my house. It's really not about Tabby. I'm actually not really being nice to her. I'm manipulating her. Lust. Most of the guys in the room that went to high school understand this. This is the only way you got a date to go to prom. <laughs> hey, I'll get you. I don't know. I didn't go to prom. <laughs> okay, we need to get off this. this. This is how the world works. Hey, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Sometimes it's spoken. That's a contract. That's not lust. What lust is, I'm going to do this quietly and secretly, and they're going to do this because I know how they work. I know I'm so cunning that I know how this person's mind operates. And if I do this, they will do this. This is how Satan gets you. Get you good this way. I know that if I send this person and they say this thing, that Steve's going to have a flesh flash. He's going to pop off, get angry. Ta-da. Lust. Lust. What does love do? Love thinks about the other person. Because I love Tabby, I'm going to be nice to her. I'm going to prefer, I'm going to value her. I'm going to tell her who she is in Christ. I'm going to, well, then what if she cleans my house? But I might not even let her. I might just love her to love her without getting anything whatsoever from her. Ain't nobody in here, I've never asked you for a dollar. And some of you give me money. I've never asked you. And some of you have given it back. Some people give me money, I've given it back. Because I didn't want it to be in our relationship. Love is only for the other person. Here's how you can, young people. Yes, look at me. This is how you're going to tell whether that stinky boy is non-stinky in God's eyes or not. If he cares about you, then he doesn't want anything from you, ever. All he wants to do is give. 
give himself, give his money, give his love, give his honor, give his value, give his respect. All he wants to do is give to make your life better. The moment he wants something from you, remember your pastor told you. Truth. Here's one of the ways you can decide whether things are true or untrue. There is a way to love in the truth. Second John chapter 1, well, there's no chapter in Second John, but Second John chapter 1, verse 1, and Third John chapter 1, verse 1, both start off the same thing, where John says, you who I love in the truth. You know, you can love people in a lie. You can lust people in a lie. We have to love in truth. What's the truth? The truth is, is that we're supposed to be a real person on the inside. His name is Christ. That's our identity. If I love the non-identity of Christ in you, I'm not actually loving you in the truth. I'm loving you in the lie. Man, if you catch that, you are going to be way better. Because a lot of people operate here, well, this is just how they are, and so I'm going to love them where they're at. Really? If you love them where they're at, you're going to give them incentive to be where they're at. God doesn't love you where you're at. He sends his love to where you're at to pull you out of where you're at. Because he knows if you stay where you're at, you're going to die. So he's going to do what he needs to do to get you from where you're at. Loving in the truth means you got to really know the identity of what the people are supposed to be. We, this, this is a huge growth opportunity for us. There's an entire culture out there that are being told to live in the lie. Your gender's wrong. Your sexuality's wrong. Your parents are, it's bad that you got parents. They don't know because your teachers are way smarter than they are to your Lord. Don't go to church. That's only for the stupid people, <laughs> says the stupid people. Nobody is born again mature. We all need to grow into the divine image of a hero that God has intended. You didn't get born, if you, if you have a radical encounter today and you come down here and you, and you rend your clothing and you repent in sackcloth and ashes and you cry out to God and you become, you, you embrace the fact that you need to become a hero and you have a radical encounter with God, you are not mature. But you've started the process. And, there, and I could literally, you could be a 60-year-old man and I could pull you up and pray for you and, and dust you off and get all the ashes off you and, and put your clothes back together and say, okay, now I'm going to have Lexi disciple you. Because there are some 14-year-old girls in here that have more maturity than some of the 60-year-old men. This is why the scriptures say that the aged women should teach the younger women. And it's not talking about age. It's talking about maturity. There's people that are older than me than I disciple. It doesn't work the same way in the kingdom. The difference between immaturity and maturity is the eye at the front. Let that soak in right there, trickle down. The difference between immaturity and maturity is the eye at the front. The immature needs to be loved and trained. 
and the mature needs to do the loving and the training. If you're not in one of those two categories, you are missing the mark. You're either being loved and trained, call that discipleship, or you are making disciples. You are loving and training. If you're not doing either, I don't know where you're going. I don't know what the process is. I don't know what you're building. I don't know what's happening, but it ain't this. A baby needs help. Anybody know that? Did that, that shock anybody? A baby needs help. They're not going to mature on their own. They're not going to read the book on the, the idiot's guide to growing up in America today, made for babies. No, they need a parent to love them, teach them the truth, to guide them. A mature parent is the one that gives them the help. You know, Bad parenting can wreck good babies? Anybody ever seen it or experienced it? Bad parenting wrecks good babies. Amen. Bad discipleship or no discipleship wrecks good babies. Okay. A mature person does not stop having places of immaturity. They just choose to deal with it. I have immature places in my life. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but I have immature places in my life. And I'm doing things on purpose in my life to get those immature places matured. If you know you have immature places in your life and you're not doing anything about it, you are asking for destruction. If you don't know that you have immature places in your life, you're already destructed. Maturity is assessed comparatively. Well, I'm better than I was last year. Well, God bless you. Last year you were a 60-year-old baby, and today you're a 61-year-old toddler. We're so proud of you. We're going to give you a trophy trophy. The comparative isn't you. Don't compare you to you. And don't compare you to me. Christ. Amen. Always remember that Christ is the standard for all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I, I, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I set aside. I set aside. Notice, it didn't say I got rid of it. It was gone. There was no more. I set it aside. There's always going to be immaturity that you deal with. This is an act of your will. You have to on purpose say, well, that was an immature area of my life. We're just going to go ahead and get rid of that. Note that he did three he said there was three aspects of being childish that he had to deal with. Talk, thought, reasoned. Talked is your communication. I could follow you around, record your conversations, and we could probably all figure out whether you're mature or not. A a a amen? 
Well, that went over well. James 3, 1 through 6 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach you will be judged more strictly. Remember when I just told you all that you're ministers? Ha <laughs> ha, tricked you. <laughs> this is what happens. When you embrace the fact that you're now a minister, this, is, this applies to you. You're going to have more judgment, more strict judgment. You know, you could go to the non-beloved church. I don't want to say names. You can go to some other church, and they'll teach you that you're not a minister, and you're, and you're, you're never going to accomplish anything, and you're just an old sinner. And you know what? You don't get this. You're not going to have the judgment. Woohoo! I can go sin because my preacher said I'm a sinner. So guess what sinners do? They sin. Woohoo! I'm going to do it good this week. And then I'll go back to church and I'll repent. And he'll just say, well, you know, you should get forgiveness. But you are a sinner. You're going to sin. You were just told that you're a minister. Sorry. Tricked you. You guys all fell right into it. This is what applies to all of us that actually are going to be ministers. We're going to be judged more harshly. Someone's going to walk up to you and say, I thought you were a minister, and you were talking like that? Well, I was only a minister on Sunday because Steve made me. <laughs> Two, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to control his whole body. The word perfect doesn't mean perfect like you. It means fully mature, bearing fruit. You want to know how you're fully mature, bearing fruit? Listen, right here. Let's follow you around and listen to this. And for some folks, you know what it is? It's the weather. How about that weather? How about it? It's changing. I'm shocked. It's never changed ever before. <laughs> and it's not American because it happened in Germany all the time. How about the weather? I'm, you think I flew over here to talk to you about the German weather? But it's because we're immature. We can't get it. You, you're not going to walk up to somebody and say, you know what? i got some issues in my life. Let's talk about deep things, you and I. <laughs> New. But that's what mature people do. I actually have people that meet me on purpose and they say, all right, I got notes. I got stuff in my life and I've met with you today and we're going to work these things out. Wow. Wow. Really? Mature. That's what mature people do. Three, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can guide the whole animal. If you can guard this, you can guard your whole animal. <laughs> Consider the ships as well, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are steered by a very small rudder. By one pilot. This is my rudder. Christ is my pilot. Anyone in here, you, have, you hear this, do anything that's contrary to him, call me out. Call me out. I'm giving you full permission, call me out. If this doesn't align with him, call me out. Because I want to be mature. Five, in the same way the tongue is a small part of the body, but it boasts of great things. I, I know nobody in here has ever used their tongue to boast, maybe of things that aren't true. Consider how small a spark can set a great forest ablaze. Oh boy. The tongue also is a fire. <laughs> yep. A world, of a, a world of wickedness among the parts of the body. 
Among the parts, you know your tongue affects your body? It pollutes the whole person, sets the course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. If Satan can't get your tongue, he can't get your life. The second thing was your thought life, what you meditate on. Romans 8, 5 through 8, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. What is your thought life? You know, I don't, you know. You could be standing right in front of me with the most spiritual look on your face and I'll just be thinking that you're thinking about rainbows, butterflies, and Jesus. And the whole time you're thinking, where can I stick the knife? We're good at it in today's society. You see my Facebook picture? Look, everything's perfect in my life. Uh, I know you. It's not really that way. Yeah, but my Facebook picture says so. You don't even have Facebook. <laughs> That's why you can amen. I don't even have one. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Can I ask you about what is going on in your mind by the Spirit? Hope so. Six, the mind of the flesh is death. You know, if I would have wrote this, people would be mad at me. Well, come on, preacher. We got to think about normal stuff, too. You know, baseball's fun. Okay. Whatever. That's, that's your thing. The mind of the flesh is death. I didn't write it. it it's quiet. But the mind of the spirit's life and peace. I have no idea why I don't have any peace in my life. I do. Possibility. Because the mind, verse 7, because the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. Right. <laughs> Your flesh is at war with God. Hostile. War. Yeah. <laughs> it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. I'm going to make my flesh pay attention and do the right thing. No, you ain't. You ain't never going to get your flesh lined up. Well, the only thing good for your flesh is dye and barbecue. Eight, those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. Remember how we started this? The true heroes in the land that are godly, they're the ones that please me. So then what is the opposite of a hero? A fleshly person. And then reasoned, last one. Understanding how one concludes, judges, or discerns a matter. That's what reasoned means. Hebrews 11. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Abraham used his reasoning to stay in the promise of God. God doesn't want your brain dead. He wants it renewed. He wants you to operate your life rationally and logically and intelligently. 
He just has a different intelligence system. He has a different set of rationality. His logic is different than the world's logic. He wants you to use your brain. He wants you to use your brain, all of it, and use it every day and all the time. He just wants it to be renewed to the mind of Christ so that when you use it, you think the way he thinks and reasons the way he reasons. Was Jesus wiser than Joseph and Mary? Hmm. Was Jesus wiser than Joseph and Mary? Did he have more divine authority than Joseph and Mary? Did he know the scriptures? Jesus was the word. Did he know the scriptures better than Joseph and Mary? Did he know God the Father better than Joseph and Mary? Was Jesus more spiritual than Joseph and Mary? Luke 2, 49, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? This is Jesus talking to Joseph and Mary. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was always telling them what to do because he was much smarter than they were. Maybe somebody else has a different version of the Bible. You guys just all agreed with me, or those of you that were dangerous enough to answer me, that Jesus was wiser than Joseph and Mary, had more authority than Joseph and Mary, was more spiritual than Joseph and Mary. Then why was he submitting to Joseph and Mary? Hebrews 5.11, and this is my last verse, and this will carry us into the next series if I don't talk about eschatology. Concerning this, we have much to say. Much to say. You know, when a preacher says, I've got much to say, you better hang on. And it's hard to explain. You know, spiritual truths are hard for our natural minds to get. Since you've become dull, not you, the Bible says, you know what I'm saying. Since you've become dull and sluggish in your spiritual hearing, and disinclined to listen. Our spiritual hearing is dull and we're not inclined to listen. You put those two together and you're going to be the end result of what he's saying here. Immature people. The next series that we go into, we're going to tap into these five basic principles that the book of Hebrews talks about from Hebrews chapter 5 into Hebrews chapter 6. Because I have a responsibility to make sure that you are rooted and grounded in the foundation principles of the kingdom. And so we're going to make sure we go through that. So how many of you are determined that you're going to be mature now? Okay. We're going to pray for all the people that aren't later. I'm going to pray for you now. So, Father, you've seen those folks that were, that were willing to acknowledge the fact that they want to be on this journey. I don't pray for the ones that aren't. I believe that you'll deal with them in your own gracious way. But those folks in this room, 
that are willing to start this journey into maturity, I thank you that you are going to take them all the way. Through your grace, through their repentance, through their submission, through their humility, you're going to able, be able to build them up into the full stature of Christ himself. I declare that over these folks in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.